All right. Christians are flooding China and the government cannot stop as much as they try. <laughs> that was World News Today. There you go. That is awesome. So wherever you try and suppress Christianity, it will just work. explode. Yep. God is more powerful than any human oppression. People need to read the history. Yeah. If the Chinese Communist Party read the history, they would know that it would be a really, really bad idea to oppress Christianity because they would just make it grow. Not only that, but they're just wasting a lot of their time and effort on something that's just going to blow up in their face. Absolutely. You know the best way? If they really want to get rid of Christianity, you know the best way for them to get rid of Christianity? Oh, are you sure you want to share this secret? Yeah, I will. <laughs> make them wealthy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, that's Honestly, no, yeah, no, honestly, that's the easiest from. way to get rid of Christianity is to give them money. Make them wealthy and... Uh, <laughs> That's and they'll it. be so concerned with themselves and all their money that they're just not going to know what and to you, do with all of it. don't believe me, look at what happens in places like America, England, Australia. Oh, yeah, so true. I Europe. mean, people get like, – that's why the Bible says that money is one of the roots of all evil, you know, because people just get so obsessed with, like, what they should do with all of this money. That's why it's so important that we should be giving back to God what we're given as well so that we're reminding where our money is actually coming from and who's blessing us with all of it. Choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world, the Bible mm. says. Yeah. Yeah, see, the Communist Party, we could we could help them out with that bun, but maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> uh, they should, They should. yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> All right, other text messages. I think we've got a few others here. Let's see what else has come through. People commenting on stuff. Do, 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 do. What have we got here? India. Once upon a time, only in Muslim, communist and Hindu countries used to persecute Christians. Now, even in democratic countries, with supposed freedom of religion, are persecuting Christians, including Australia. We know that Christian persecution has always been around, but now Satan knows his days are short and is going to get much worse for all Christians. We can see it by the laws being placed around us. Are we ready to be martyred for Christ? It's coming, and it's sooner than we think. Well, the Bible does say that. Yeah, it does. Say. And you know what's weird? I always talk about this, and, and I'm not sure if anybody does share the same point of view, but there's something awesome about the idea that even if we were to be persecuted at all, we have that faith that God's just going to take care of us anyway. You know, I've never really been that concerned with persecution. If anything, it's a compliment. You know, if you're being persecuted, at least you know you're making a stand and people can recognize you as a Christian. I mean, can you say the same thing about your own life? Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, next big lockdown will be against commandment keeping Christians. The lockdowns happening now are just practice runs. Yeah, they're pretty mild compared to. Uh, <laughs> you hear Antonio's story? He got slammed in uh, jail for three years as a political prisoner. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in jail as being a political prisoner, but uh, if I was in jail for my faith, then that would be worthwhile going to jail for. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, lockdowns are pretty mild compared to all that that we're having right now. Uh, practice runs for those who are asleep. Please wake up before it's too late. As I speak to people who come from communist and Muslim countries, they warn me continue this stuff happened just before they lost their freedoms. Mm. And then another one here, every person in the world should read The Great Controversy. Um, and this was the book that, in, in case you missed it, uh, that Antonio was reading, uh, El Gran Conflicto, mm. The Great Controversy. Uh, and I will testify to that as well because when I was 15 years old, I read that book for the first time and my life was a bit of a disaster at the time. It completely changed my life and it changed my approach, my understanding, my attitude towards the Bible. Well, I'm actually two 
um, read it after this Friday, I think. I think I'm starting to read it as a um, Bible worker with my oh, friend. Oh, as part of your course? Yeah, or as part of our course. Part, as, part of your course. Yeah, so we're getting excited to read it. We're just finishing up Desire of Ages at the moment, so getting... Ah, great Controversy <laughs> is my favourite. Uh, everyone should read The Great Controversy. Besides the Bible, that book is the greatest book ever written. It explains <laughs> past, present, and future perfectly. That is from a biblical perspective. And really what it does, if you've never read The Great Controversy, it is a book that begins with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and then traces the history of Christianity from there through until our day and then by prophecy into the future. It's an awesome book. So it was written about 150 years ago, so we have progressed several chapters through the book since it was written. Which <laughs> but is... isn't that cool, though? The people yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Like, you're able to look back and go, oh, this actually happened. That's know? right. That's right. Proof that everything is still falling into place. Absolutely. All right. That's our text messages. Let's go to our Bible study. And, of course, if you would like to uh, share something via text message, the number to call is... 0491-064-669. So send us a text or a call if you want to comment on anything or even let us know. Fantastic. All right, Talia, we're talking about the story of Joseph. Yes. Let's go to Genesis chapter 42, and uh, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. Uh, let's maybe summarize a little, fill in some of the gaps from last week. So last week we found that well, Joseph found himself in a situation where he was in charge of the prison. And it seems like everywhere Joseph goes, he ends up in charge. He is just a natural, genius administrator. And uh, as a result of that, he um, he he just rises to the top every well, single time. Isn't that interesting that being the well, at the time being the youngest in his family, that the only way he found out he was such a great leader was being thrown in a, in a ditch? and getting put into slavery into Egypt only to find out that he actually is a great leader. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me just see here. I think I've got all those text messages. Anyway, um, I've got a message here saying I missed one text message. Maybe the person needs to resend it because I don't have it here on my screen right now. Anyway, so he rises to the top. He's in jail. He's in charge of the jail the chief butler and the chief baker for Pharaoh, um, who is basically the guy in charge of the current world superpower of the time. So this is the equivalent of the United States. This would be the the, uh, the, 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 the butler and the cupbearer for, say, Joe Biden. So a very powerful position. And in those days, particularly the position of cupbearer was one of the most powerful positions that a person could hold. We don't quite understand that in our culture today, but the chief cupbearer could often be in a very similar position to being a prime minister. Mm, it was a really, really powerful uh, position, and that was a tradition that lasted for, well, almost a couple of thousand years. Too bad that that title died out. Yeah, I know. It's a kind of <laughs> cool title, isn't it? We should bring it back. Maybe we should call ScoMo the chief cupbearer of Australia. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, chief, chief cupbearer for the Queen. I don't know. But anyway, um, so you have this whole situation where he is, where, where these two guys end up in jail. They have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams. And Joseph says, okay, uh, one of you guys is going to be executed, and the other one of you guys will be restored. And when you're restored, for the one that's being restored, then let me say something nice to Pharaoh for me. Yeah. You know, put in a good word for me. Well, he gets restored, and he completely forgets. 
and nothing happens and Joseph just stays in jail, which would be super <laughs> discouraging until Pharaoh has a dream that really disturbs him. And Talia, do you remember what his dream was about? Oh. Pharaoh's dreams. Cows. I'm going, off, I'm going off the movie. That's what's playing in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was a movie about cows and corn. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, it was about the uh, seven years of famine and the seven years of... Um, exactly. Prosperity. Seven years of famine, seven years of prosperity. You had seven uh, fat cows. You had seven skinny <laughs> cows. You had uh, seven... Tall grains of... Tall grains of corn and you had and seven... sickly ones. Sickly withered ones. Uh, and so he is then asked to come to the palace of Pharaoh to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Uh, okay, here we go. Here's the text message that I missed. Uh, and this text message is all the way going back to the story that you shared, Talia, about that woman in Israel who donated oh, a yes. kidney to the child there. And somebody wanted to text through and say, the gift, the love of God is never ending. He used this woman to give the gift of life amidst the sorrows of war. Mm. Love will always win in the end, just like the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best gift in the world, why would we not accept it? It's the gift of eternal life. Like cool that we can only like we can just give kind of an example of what like life you know like we yes. can give somebody that opportunity as well the same way that God gives everybody that opportunity. And in case you missed that story, and, and correct me if I get the details here wrong, but Talia, it was a woman who on her fiftieth birthday yeah. decided she wanted to do something to celebrate her birthday, mm-hmm. and randomly donated a kidney, kidney, which went to and she was from Israel. Yep. And the kidney went to a Palestinian kid on the Gaza Strip. Yep, a three-year-old boy. Three-year-old boy. And she was able to actually meet the boy and to share a a note with him. And, uh, yeah, that was absolutely amazing story of what this woman did as a way of celebrating her 50th birthday. Yeah, she gave a gift instead of receiving one. We need to have more people like that in our world. All right, we've got Bruce calling through right now. Uh, Let me see. Bruce, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you were talking about how great Joseph was, but really, I believe we should be looking at it how great God was because Joseph totally relied on God because he had to in the situations he was in, and God blessed him. Not only blessed him, but he blessed Potiphar, you know, and even when he got chucked in the jail, he blessed the jail of the jailer, and, you know, and so, and he, but because he was totally relying on God all the time, you know, and so, and this great controversy we're talking about, is really, it's about God. It's not about us, necessarily. It's whether which children are we God's children or we reflecting God's character, because that's what it's all about, or we, by the devil's children, really are seen as a snake and reflecting his character, a selfish character, you know? And so, really, I love Joseph because, just like last Sabbath school, it really hit me that Joseph is an example of who, when, where to be and what, where to do. And isn't that what Jesus did? You know, he said, on my own self, Jesus said, I can do nothing. Yeah. But as I'm here, that's what I do, and that's what we should be doing. We're God's children. All we have to do is listen and allow him to be the Lord of our lives, to supply everything to guide us and protect us, and we will be bringing glory to God because it's God's light and his life that he's living out in us, and that's what it's all about. 
Fantastic, Bruce. Thank you so much for sharing and adding that, well, bringing, bringing that story back into balance because maybe we did emphasise, you know, too much about Joseph's um, natural ability and not enough about the fact that he received that ability from God. And yeah. these kinds of abilities, you know, the, the, the gift of administration is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and it is sometimes very difficult as well to remember that our talents are not our own but ones that God has given to us. I mean, even in times where I've been given the awesome opportunity to preach and people will come up after and be like, oh, you did a great job, but it's like, you have to remember, no, there's... It, yeah, it was praise not, God. God did that. Yes, <laughs> that's all about God. Yeah, that's a good reminder there, Bruce. Thank you so much. It's always good for us to uh, bring the glory back to God. And when we look at the example of Joseph, just to see, you know, this was somebody who had made a decision to dedicate their life to God because, you know, you look back over their family history, you look at where they came from, they had every reason in the world not to be a follower of God. They had every reason in the world to wander away from God. And yet because of Joseph's dedication to God, God was able to use him and to bless him in a special way. And, you know, one of the other things that Bruce pointed out there, which I think was really important, how that when Joseph came into Pharaoh's house, God did not just bless Joseph, but he blessed Pharaoh. Mm. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because you've got Joseph here as in power in Egypt, in the golden age of Egypt. Now, when you talk about the golden age of Egypt, you know, every every nation, empire, whatever, has had an, a point at which they have peaked. Mm, yeah, that's definitely true. But when you're talking about Egypt, it was literally a golden age because in Egypt during that era, Egypt was literally dripping with gold. Yeah, it was a very rich country. It was fabulously wealthy and fabulously powerful. Mm, yeah. Like on a scale we can't even... You know, you see Tutankhamun's uh, tomb and the treasures from his tomb, and I've been to the Cairo Museum where I've seen some of that. Oh, yeah, Taleo, you know, one day in the future, you never know, Yeah. <laughs> but this thing called international travel might come back again. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's an old word. And if it does, yeah, that's right. Um, and if it does, make an effort. Go to Egypt. It's yeah. incredible. Uh, but you look at the treasures of his tomb and the amount of gold that was used and expended just on a dead body. Well, that would just be a representation of how much they have to spare. You know? That's right. That's the, that was the gold oh. that they had to spare, the gold that they could afford to just shove in the ground with a dead body. Bragging even when you're dead. That's right. Uh, and, you know. You see that and it gives you this faint impression of just how unbelievably wealthy mm. that country actually was. Yeah, that's true. Off the charts. All right. Uh, where are we going to? Genesis chapter 42, verse 7 through 20. So by the time we get to this, what we find is that Joseph is prime minister of Egypt. Joseph is happily married. Uh, he has two kids. Life is going well for Joseph. The granaries of Egypt are full. They have enough food to more than supply them for the Egyptians for the next seven years. Yes. And not only to supply the Egyptians, but they are now in a position to sell grain to other countries that are being hit by the same famine. Which is just making them even wealthier. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Talia, why don't you read for us? Well, let's start for us in uh, chapter two, 42, verse 7. Yep, no problem. 
Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, they are actually, there are actually twelve of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our family right now, and our, one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your younger brother's brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you ha don't have a younger brother, then I will know that you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring back your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you were telling the truth and you will not die. To this, they agreed. Wow. This is a pretty full-on story. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, we've said it before, but somebody needs to make a decent movie out of the story of Joseph. Mm. Because the ones that have been made have so far just sort of been a bit lame. Not not entirely accurate, but they were yeah. good as a kid. Okay. Good music. All right. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't remember them. But anyway, um, somebody needs to, to spend a bit of money and, uh, and to do... Do a decent job of this one because it is, you know, who needs action. who needs fiction when you have the Bible? Seriously. Yeah, I don't think people appreciate enough how interesting the Bible really is. You know, I feel like they've put this big, um, I guess, presumption that because it's it's religious, it's going to be boring. But there's so many things that I found in the Bible that I just go, wow, that, <laughs> that was better than any movie that's come out this year. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, okay, so let's think about the story for a moment. So you've got Joseph and his family turns up. Okay, so you got uh, Talia. Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? Yes, I have uh, three younger siblings. Three younger siblings. How long since you've seen them? Um, well, I have not seen them since I came down here in into Newcastle. So I think almost two months now. Is that the longest you've ever gone without seeing them? No, the longest I've gone is is probably something close to like maybe four, five, or six months. Okay, was that while you were doing LMT? Or? It was while I was at school because I was oh, moving around a lot. There you go. And even okay. in lockdown and stuff, when everything was kind of blowing up at the time. So, yeah, it was kind of weird not seeing them. But and now you're in lockdown. Yeah, well, now I'm in lockdown again. So it might be a long time before you see them. <laughs> yeah, but even in that same way, I, it's not that I wouldn't be able to recognise them. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to come back and we're going to talk about this in more detail. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're up to. We were talking about your family. and yeah, we It's been a while since you've seen yeah, your family. Yeah, and I was, I was just commenting that even if it had been... I mean, years. I still believe I'd be able to recognise them at least. And yes, you would. Yeah, so you would recognise them instantly. What surprises me is that they didn't recognise Joseph. Yeah, but then again, he must have. He must have changed, like in appearance. I mean, you think about how different they dressed back then. Yes. So I've got a feeling. So whole... Joseph, Joseph has probably gone full native. Yeah. So he's got those weird head wigs, or and he might be wearing that weird fake. 
beard that and the eyeliner and the eyeliner that <laughs> who knows who knows I hope he wasn't wearing the eyeliner but hey it was a different era wasn't it different era different culture and uh, but he would have dressed like an Egyptian he would have looked yeah. like an Egyptian and living in that area you know he would have sounded like an Egyptian and he probably wouldn't have they probably wouldn't have picked him for not being Egyptian and mm. of course. You know, if you're working under the assumption that your brother had been sold into slavery and died, you know, decades before. You're not going to see him as the person that you're coming to for food. Particularly not the Prime Minister of Egypt. Yes, not the cup holder. You would not be expecting that at all. And I would would probably be in the same position as him. I would think that they're lying because he's under the assumption that they're referring to him as the youngest brother when really they were referring to Benjamin. Yeah, it's an interesting story, and he decided to put them to a bit of a test right here, and he must have been a quick thinker, and God was obviously with him because he's like, oh, no, you're all spies. Mm. And you can imagine, you know, they've gone down to Egypt, and you're in a foreign country, and, you know, how would you, how would you feel if you were travelling as a tourist, say, well, you know, one day in the future when international <laughs> travel comes back, um, and you're travelling as a tourist through, say, Iran. Mm. You know, there was uh, an Aussie girl there recently that got slammed in jail, and probably won't get out for a long time, who's just an Instagrammer. Wow. Got accused, got accused of being a spy. Oh, wow. Yeah, just an inter- Instagrammer just doing the tourism. I've, I've been a tourism in Iran. Uh, it's a fantastic country to visit, amazing things to see. But if you were in a country like that where you don't speak the language and you're a foreigner yeah. and you have a government that has absolute power and the Prime Minister turns up and says, you guys are spies, you're going to jail. You're going to freak out. Yes. going to think, what, this was a huge mistake, misunderstanding, yes. please. Like, yeah, no wonder. They're, they, especially like reading through that, the amount of times that they're like, no, please, like, we're not spies. We're not spies. We're just here to get food. And you really do have the best intention. And to be accused by someone with that much power, you just, you'd be left like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and you would kind of think, you would kind of think that, okay, if we get a break from this, we're just going to make a run for the border. Yeah. And then they get a break. But Simeon stays behind. Yes, they have to. So now they've got a reason so, to come back. Yes. However, if you think about their old character. They would have just left him behind. Because they, they sold Joseph. Yeah. So, even, so why not just make a break yeah. for the border, leave Simeon behind. Let's and not just worry. just go too, home, yeah. It's just, yeah. But even when they would have come back, that would have probably been a huge shock to Joseph as well. Like there would have been, I feel as though, if it was me at least, if it was me and I had being abandoned by my siblings, and then they'd come back for a different one, I would have kind of been like, oh, I mean, <laughs> okay, see how it is, <laughs> you know. I feel like you'd be put in that position of, oh, well, they've changed, that's for sure. But, you know, sh- surely there would be kind of those those times where he would have been like, I don't understand what's happening. And, yes, what happened to me was sad, but where I am right now, I'm happier where I am now than where I think I could have been, you know. Like with his family and his wife and his children, he's got a good life set up for him. But in that same way, I feel there would have been that, that um, that feeling of like, oh, I, you know, I love my family and stuff. I just don't know why they didn't do that for me. And imagine if, imagine how your parents would feel if you and your siblings had been in held hostage in some random country, maybe in Africa somewhere, yeah. like the Sudan or somewhere like that, and you've been held hostage. Three of you got out, and then you go to your dad and you say, "We're going to go back and get the other one." How's your dad going to react to that? He's got three out of his four kids. He's going to want the other one. It'd be a pretty tough choice to allow his three kids to go back. Yeah. 
I think he'd be saying, no, I'll do it instead. Yeah. But Joseph, I mean, Jacob wasn't really in a position to do that because he was very elderly. And so this is this is a tough situation, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's considered enough, especially like once they would have gone back, they would be like, "Hey, you know, we've just left one of our brothers back there, but we want to take the one that you've got here at home as well. We want to take him back." We has to. Yeah, and so then the father's kind of like, "Oh, okay. Well, now I'm going to leave all lose all of my children. (laughs) Yeah, the whole lot. They're all going to be imprisoned." The stress that there would have been on that entire family to just get this whole thing out of the mud would have been crazy. Ah oh dear, somebody just got uh, had a, had a crack at the five hundred pointer and got it wrong, and they're like, mm, "No mercy." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where did we get up to? What verse did we get up to? Uh, we got up to twenty. Oh, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Uh, let me see. Let's go over to Matthew chapter twenty-five, and. Uh, Let's see what takes place over here. And, and really what you see happening here is Joseph's trying to figure out whether his brother's character has changed or not. Um, they used to, you know, have they, have they changed? And, and what you're going to find as you read down through this story is that Joseph is not the only one of these brothers that has experienced a conversion experience since he was sold into slavery. Mm. And you're going to find that the power of God comes upon all of, has come upon all of these brothers and they've repented of their sins even though they are hiding a terrible, terrible secret. Yeah. And as we work our way through this story this week, we're going to learn some major lessons from this. But Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 40, 41 to 46. If you could read those verses for us, please, Talia. Yeah. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. All right. So this is an interesting story here because what you find is that Jesus uh, takes the abuse or neglect of others incredibly personally. Mm. He's like, you're doing it to me. And as we go through this week's Bible study, we're going to learn uh, some stories about taking care of others' needs and our responsibility as Christians. We're going to learn for learn about it from the story of Joseph. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. All right, what's our question of the day today, Talia? It is, who baptised John the Baptist? Easy answer, I have no idea. There's the end of it. I've answered the quiz. The question, sorry. All right, but you probably want to know more about that. <laughs> Talia's, looking at, Talia's looking at me like, really? We've got five minutes to talk about this? And she's looking at the time tick by and she's like, where is Lyle going to go with this? Okay, so here's how it goes. Uh, the practice of baptism... Um, predates John the Baptist by hundreds of years. And uh, the word baptism simply means to immerse. 
and so it comes from the Greek word baptizo. Uh, it literally means to immerse, and so anything that, Im- that is immersed, you would use the Greek word if you were speaking the Greek language, uh, which was the lingua franca-, franca of the time. You would use the word, you know, if you're washing the dishes, you are baptizoing your dishes because you are immersing them. You're baptizing your dishes because you are immersing them in water. And it simply means to immerse. And the Jews had, uh, during the Second Temple period, which is the, the period of Zerubbabel's temple and later Herod's temple, uh, so this is the pretty much the intertestamental period, they developed a practice of cleansing through immersion. And so, you know, the Bible talks about how that, you know, you would be unclean if you touched a dead body for X amount of days and, you know, you could become unclean in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lot of, most of this had very, very practical applications of dealing with disease and so forth. And so you would quarantine, you know, during those periods and you would wash your clothes and you'd wash your body and you'd make yourself clean again. And so the in the uh, intertestamental period or the period between the Old and New Testament, the Second Temple period, what they did was they made it more convenient and easier for people to be able to do that. And so they built special, what we would call in Christianity, a baptismal font. Oh. What the Jewish people call a mikvah. Ah, oh, yes, we studied this in studies of religion back in school. There you go, there you go. So your mikvah, it's kind of like a large baptismal tank, often traditionally made out of stone. Uh, it would have steps leading down into it where you could fully be fully immersed for all kinds of ritual cleansing that might be required for a whole bunch of different reasons. And so this is where the practice of baptism comes from. And so when John the Baptist starts preaching uh, repentance, he starts immersing people in water. in water because that's what Jewish people did mm. when they were unclean for whatever sins it was that they had. Right. John the Baptist is simply pointing out you're all sinners in need of a saviour. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not Those are Paul's words, but this is what John the Baptist was preaching. And so you all need to be baptised and to be cleansed from that sin. You all need to be immersed now, of course, John didn't have his own mikvah because he didn't have a synagogue that he was preaching in. He was an outdoor preacher, and so he went and preached near the Jordan River, and everybody used to travel down there to listen to John, and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. And, of course, the Jordan River had a number of advantages because it was what was called living water. Oh, really? Yes. So living water was water that was moving. Right, yes, so a running, moving river. Yes, so a river or a spring or something like that was always considered to be living water uh, as opposed to a mikvah, which is a tank, which is still water. Right. So what they would often do when they could would be, and, and, and living water could cleanse from all kinds of sins, whereas still water, the Jewish custom was, the Jewish tradition was that it would only cleanse from most sins. But there were some that you had to have living water for. And so this is one of the advantages that John the Baptist had by going to the River Jordan because it cleanses from everything. Right. Uh, A lot of Jews, when they built their mikvah, would connect it to a spring. Oh. Because it was connected to a spring, 
Living water. Yeah, it's living water and it cleanses from everything. And so, yes, this was a practice. You can read about it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It had been around for hundreds of years. John the Baptist adopted it. And then, of course, Jesus and his disciples adopted it. It was carried on through New Testament times and we still do it today. But we don't know who it was who actually baptized John the Baptist. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.